Welcome to Your Wellbeing Podcast, brought to you by the Mind Body Spirit Festival. Today we're joined remotely by Swami Purna Chaitanya, who's currently traveling all over Africa and today speaking to us from Ghana. Swami Purna Chaitanya was born Freik Alexander Luthra in the Netherlands in 1984. He's a life coach, artist, author, and public speaker, and travels around the world teaching yoga techniques, stress elimination, and peaceful, joyful living. He's taught yoga programs extensively in India, as well as other parts of Asia, such as Bhutan, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and Hong Kong. And he's also traveled and conducted programs across the African continent and various countries in Europe, teaching a wide range of programs in over 20 countries under the Art of Living Foundation. So welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be with us today. Swami Prachetanya. It's a pleasure to be here, Bhavani. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yes, me too. So we're going to be diving straight in. Um, and it's a wonderful platform to be able to introduce you to our audience and people who know you and people that maybe don't know you as well. Um, so we know that your father was Dutch and your mother was of Indian descent and your parents studied under Maharshi Mahesh Yogi of Transcendental Meditation. You're exposed to quite a spiritual upbringing. So how did you develop such a keen interest in the traditions of the East? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say my upbringing was really spiritual in the sense that it was pervaded by all these things that we see today. Mm. Um, my parents, I guess, uh, had an inclination to learn more about things like meditation, uh, so they were quite conscious people, I would mm. say. So during their uh, university days, uh, that's also where they met. A friend of theirs actually uh, had come across the meditation programs of the TM organization and uh, had told them about it. And then they decided, you know, yes, let us explore this. So they did the program. They did uh, uh, some advanced programs also. And um, uh, after that, they were not really in any way part of the, the TM organization as such. But mm. I guess it did you know, influence them in a way that it gave them some practical tools to give a direction to that, you can say, interest in spirituality and uh, practical practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe a, a more conscious approach in the sense that by the time I was born, my brother were born, they had already become vegetarian. They decided and realized that you know, it is a more healthy lifestyle. Uh, apart from the many other benefits mm. and a more responsible and more conscious uh, choice. Mm. So uh, so they raised us being vegetarian, which in those days was quite unique. If you see now, of course, in Europe yeah, and all over the world, it's much more common. It's much more understood. You know, mm. I remember going to my my friend's place for lunch, you know, when you're in school, mm. primary school and and the parents would like get so worried because they didn't know what to what to make for me like what yeah. dinner was even worse they're yeah. like then what do you eat i said well <laughs> just give me the same stuff but leave out the meat you know yeah. but they're like no but you have to eat something i said yeah, i'm eating all these other things you know we have the vegetables <laughs> the potatoes the... so in those days it was less common of course yes but um I so there remember. were these 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 small things you can say in my upbringing and my mother um in that way like she raised us in a very beautiful and conscious way you can say in the sense that we were exposed to all kinds of different traditions, um, you know, a uh, lot of emphasis also on the values. Mm. So uh, a proper upbringing, I would say. Yes. Um, and then um, somewhere, I don't know if it was my DNA or my uh, something else, but there was this interest in Eastern traditions where whenever I would come across something, um, like I was practicing different martial arts, mm-hmm. Eastern martial arts, like Judo, Taekwondo, Aikido, Wushu, Kung Fu okay. over the years. Yeah. And there was something that pulled me there. And after a few years, I realized it was not so much the fighting skills, but more, you can say, the 
the tradition behind it, no, this yes. whole culture, the values, the the spirituality, you can say. Yes. So practices like meditation, you know, mindfulness, breathing techniques, and in school when we learned a little bit about all the different religions, traditions in the world, uh, somehow I was much more drawn to the Eastern traditions because mm. for some reason, uh, to me, it appealed much more because it seemed much more practical in its application in day-to-day life, where right. uh, even philosophy, which I studied a bit in high school. The the Western philosophy seemed more like intellectual, maybe if I can put it like that, uh-huh. like it's more of concepts and like an intellectual exercise. While the Eastern tradition seemed to be very practical and closely connected to our day to day life. How do you live your life? You know, mm. how do you relate to the people around you? Mm. Um, yeah, that was there. So I'd read a few books, uh, like how it goes, you know, like things like Autobiography of a Yogi, yes, you know, and classics. Yes. Yeah. And I realized that you know you can read so many books, but it's not the same as an experience. So then somewhere that you can say longing was there for something authentic, but I wasn't sure where to find that or how to go about it. Mm. And uh, yeah, then when I met uh, uh, Sri Ravi Shankar, the founder of The Art of Living, in uh, during a public program in Amsterdam, he had come to give a big public talk, which someone had told us about mm-hmm. in 2000. Uh, that experience changed my life in the way that I realized, oh yeah, this is this is something authentic, you know, this is yeah. some, this is this, the, you can say the person I was looking for. Yeah. Or, uh, I actually, yeah. I, I read that on your website that um, you say that when you met your guru, it was a feeling of meeting someone that you'd been waiting for, for a long time. Can you explain what that means for someone who might not be able to understand what that feeling might have been um, with regard mm. to meeting someone that you hadn't met before in this way? I guess that's a little bit of a tricky question because on one hand, I would say that, you know, how do you explain like, for example, ice cream to someone who's never even seen it. You know, you can say it's cold, it's sweet, it's tasty. Uh, but unless you taste it, you won't really know what it's like. Right. So it'll always be a concept. And it may be closer to the truth or farther away. But uh, the thing is, um, when you eat an ice cream, even if you've never even read about it or heard about it, the moment you eat it, you know what it's like. You know? And you'll be able to <laughs> tell anybody. And if you see it again, you know whether that is ice cream or not. So. Mm experiences are always difficult if not impossible to really transfer Mm. because you have to experience it Mm. at the same time if i'd have to try to put it in words like i said i was looking for something authentic Mm. and um when i met him there was something that that clicked inside where it's it's like you know when when someone shares their experience usually you can tell whether they're being authentic or it's just something they've read or they've heard or they're trying to you know showcase Right. It's right. like, you know, you know, you know when someone is really happy, you know, when someone is, is really inspired, you mm. know, when someone is passionate. Mm. So that's like inside something knows. And when I met him, there was something inside which made that you could see that, yeah, this is a person who has really understood life, you know, who really uh, knows people, knows how the mind works, how the consciousness works. And someone who is authentically there for everybody who really actually cares for everybody because i've seen it in small small things where he's so available uh, whether that person may be you know old or young or whatever uh, you know background they may be very simple people or very educated so there was something where uh, when i met him i was like yeah this is at least this is for me what what a real mm. living master like an enlightened master mm would be like, even though I may not have had a, a real concept of it before, but it's like when I saw it, then I, yeah, this is, yeah. So there was this, some, is, this is what I was looking for. Some yeah. resonance that was there with you 
and, and you say that you you know you had this journey through immersing in various things from the east and then of course your upbringing in the west and then it led you led you to that path what advice would you have for others who might still be seeking for their correct path or their teacher or someone who might be able to um keep them on track let's say mm. so i would say that um don't be afraid to follow your your instinct your intuition or your heart i would say mm-hmm. you know nowadays many people uh, sometimes they ask me also they you know they're a little reluctant on one end they feel much safer looking at youtube videos or just reading books mm. because no sometimes you hear stories of maybe uh, religious leaders or spiritual leaders who take advantage of their followers or mm. who may not really be as authentic as they thought they were so people you know this perception is a little bit there sometimes at the same time we see that this is the case in any field you know there are people who pretend to be doctors who are not you know <laughs> there are people who pretend to be good lawyers and they're not there are people who you know uh, pretend to sell you healthy things which are not healthy mm. so that way you will always find a few rotten apples in every basket but it doesn't mean you stop eating apples mm. and um i think that when it comes to something as personal as this where you say i'm looking for someone who can guide me in life you know not just a specific thing that uh, we should not be afraid to follow our heart mm. you will know like i said when i met him i knew that yeah this is something authentic and until you come to that point it's fine to uh, you know to to go around uh, yeah and and see find look look for what you're looking for because mm. even in the in the tradition in the scriptures they say that when the the seeker is ready when the student is ready the master will appear in your life and wow. there are so many people who can who can share the same experience so we we do our bit you do yeah, what you can beautiful. to yeah. to become a better human being mm-hmm. but then when you when you feel that then the you need to have the courage to say okay i'm just going to go for this you know mm. because sometimes then people say oh but how can i be really sure maybe let me try this also see that also there is another popular yeah uh, there's a lot out there guru. yes exactly but then there's the thing lot. is it's like you know you're digging for water in 100 places but if you only dig for one or two meters you may not find it anywhere mm. and if you dig in one place deep enough definitely you're going to get it sooner or later so <laughs> this is the thing that once you you have a path where you feel that connection Hmm. then we need to what know what they say like surrender or that commitment where you say okay i'm just going to because otherwise you'll get confused no hmm. everybody the the goal is the same yes, there is absolutely. no doubt about that but then people have different ways of explaining things different techniques um different uh methods maybe so hmm. if we start mixing that you become confused it's like taking two different routes and taking the directions for both of them Mm. half half you'll end up somewhere else yeah (laughs) yeah totally I love that analogy so you're saying that this you know this journey for you in a way began in 2000 when you when you had that realization when you met your guru and then 12 years later in 2012 you were formally initiated into into swamihood or swamidom um, and given your new current name so that's a real um, exactly what you're saying about about commitment you know really diving into that and that was a path that you chose so can you first explain to our listeners what a swami is um how you become one and what sort of changes these you know what sort of changes this brings or, or requires of you so the thing is um let's set this straight for the record that i never <laughs> really consciously aspired to or like work towards this in the sense um see a swami basically is a monk you can say right. of the indian tradition okay um so in india the like the the what they call the sanatana dharma or the vedic tradition yeah. uh, one who has dedicated their life who has completed their 
you can say worldly responsibilities. So uh, you don't have people directly dependent on you. So it's not that you run away from stuff. You have to finish your, have your things in order, you can say. But you're very, you're uh, very young. So did you feel like you had completed your worldly uh, so, duties? So, so like I said, um, it was not something directly I worked towards. I'll come to that. But mm. just to, to give people the right idea. Mm. So it's like then when you say, okay, I am ready to dedicate my life to the service of others, of the mm. world, that I don't have uh, needs for myself. I don't need much. Mm. But I would like to be maximum useful to the people around me. Mm. And at the same time, striving towards that uh, what you can say, self-realization or mm. enlightenment or whatever. Mm. There's so many fancy words nowadays. <laughs> um, you can say coming closer to your, your nature or realizing your nature or realizing God or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the two things which they say traditionally should and can be your focus. That one is that self-realization, the other part is service to to the world. Right. And uh, that is that defines you can say a swami so someone who's dedicated themselves to be useful to others uh, whatever the need may may be mm-hmm. so after i completed my studies and i had worked for some time i had already become a trainer for the art of living i was conducting some of the meditation the yoga programs mm-hmm. i had uh, myself experienced the benefit that it had for people and i got so inspired with that that i decided that i would also like to share this with people become an instrument to also you know share this with others mm. Um, and then, but then even from a younger age, I always had this, you can say, uh, desire or, or keenness to do something bigger in life when it comes to being useful to others. Mm. I didn't have a dream to say, you know, maybe build a huge company or <laughs> get a wonderful car. Like my friends had all kinds of, you know, everybody yeah. has their own dreams, but yeah. for me, it was something, okay, how can I be more useful? And that's beautiful. Cause and, I think that's something a lot of our our community, a lot of our listeners will be able to resonate with because many people that are on 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 the path of spirituality or well being or have an interest in in what mind body spirit offers will will really be able to to resonate with this. Definitely, and and it's a beautiful thing, you know. For me, it's a sign of of you can say evolution, mm. where you have come to a point, and I think that is maybe one of the the benefits and also the challenges of our modern society where. <laughs> you see that at a younger age, much younger age, we have experienced so much more of the world, you know, mm. because of internet, because of the media, because Social of media. mobility, the way we can travel. Yeah. People may have experienced so much more of the world and of life in a way mm. uh, at the age of 20 that otherwise people may have never experienced in a lifetime. Yeah, you have seen so much, you have experienced so much. So you come to a point where you say, okay, I've seen that. I know. Mm. I have a fair idea. Now, there must be something more to life. You know? mm. This the same happened to the Buddha. The Buddha was fortunate to have a childhood where he was given, you can say, the best of the best. He could experience so many things. And yeah. Yeah. With, because he also had that, that awareness or discrimination, he realized that, okay, this is all nice, but this is also limited. You know? yes. There must be something more. And, and that is when you start saying, okay, uh, what more is there to life? And if that is coupled with a sense of, maybe uh, fulfillment or contentment Mm. uh, then you say okay I don't need much for myself so what can I do for others and that brought me to India Um, I thought let me go for one or two years to dedicate my my time my services because there are so many service projects also of the Art of Living Foundation and our headquarters is in India and then after that two years I realized that um, this is so much more fulfilling than a nine-to-five job which I was doing before where you spend most of your time just earning the money to pay your bills, your food, everything. 
So I decided to to continue doing that, and my parents were uh, just very happy and proud. They were so their their support, their blessing was there that you can choose the life you want to live. That's wonderful. But they were happy I was doing something so useful. We're exposed to so much more at a much younger age, so that people are much more able to make much more conscious or awakened decisions with what they want to be doing. Yeah, and I think that is one of the beautiful things of of initiatives like the Mind Body Spirit Festival because what happens is that if people somehow don't get to know mm. that there is this whole uh, world where you know there is this whole knowledge, this whole path, there are so many techniques to to experience higher states of consciousness, to live a more conscious and more mm. meaningful life. Mm. I think that is where also you see that people then go to things like drugs, you mm-hmm. know, because I've come across so many places where youth have come to that point of saturation where you say, you no, know, life cannot be just this. There should be must be something more. Yes. But then if they don't have access to any type of spiritual knowledge or guidance, you see that then drugs will give them at least some experience of something more, that they are not just the body or mm. or some way, some, but it's not uh, it's not an authentic experience and um, it can be harmful also. You know? yeah. So it's like they're trying to to find something which is more meaningful, which is more profound, but then they end up stuck with something which is actually detrimental. Mm. You know? Mm. So you were given the name when you became a Swami of Swami Purna Chaitanya. Um, what does that mean? So, uh, like we explained, Swami is a title. Yes. So at some point, after many years of, of living this life of service, uh, my master, he offered yes. me that opportunity to, which I had never expected, but of course I was very grateful. <laughs> um, so that is a, where you dedicate your life. It's not temporary that you say, okay, after a few years, I want to, take up a normal job or get married, start a family. It is a real dedication. But um, and is, Purna is it, um, yeah. something that you've demonstrated that one demonstrates a commitment to beforehand, or is it something that comes with the initiation of are you ready for this? You know, wh- which way does it go? Are they both hand in hand? In a tradition, uh, normally the practice is that you live with a master for some time where you already uh, are dedicating your life. No, mm-hmm. You have chosen to be a disciple, to mm-hmm. live uh, this kind of lifestyle. And uh, then if and when the master feels that the disciple is ready, he has the the choice to initiate them as a, as a Swami, you can say. Mm-hmm. So it is also that only uh, one who is himself, you can say uh, a renunciate or a monk or like uh, a master, can initiate others like that. It's not that you can just uh, you know, do a crash course somewhere and, and <laughs> like how we get a degree online. doesn't work like that. Right. A lot of what you're saying is very inspiring and other people might be feeling, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I want, I want to feel like I'm contributing and that my life is for something more, but it's not just that anyone can just show mm-hmm. up and say, okay, today I'm a Swami. Yeah, see the Swami, it's, it's also like, uh, it's it's a formal title, no? It's a role. Mm. So the same way, maybe you know, you there's an ancient tradition. So we follow that. We may dress in a certain way. Uh, mm. Uh, mm. So people also recognize that. You know, it's like you see someone in a robe. You think, oh, that must be a spiritual person. Mm. Someone mm. may have all the the knowledge of the world, but if they're wearing an Angry Birds T-shirt and <laughs> jeans, you may not approach them for for spiritual guidance or to learn about meditation or. Uh, so it's also that you. You can say you have that role in the society. Mm. Um, and then because it is a tradition, so yes, it comes with certain uh, responsibilities and certain privileges is not the right word, but uh, cert- yeah, certain so, role. Like, yeah. for example, I get to represent my master 
also in his aspect as a spiritual master, as a teacher. Right. Um, we have so many teachers of the art of living who conduct the programs, um, but that is just one facet of, of his multifaceted personality. So if there is a an interfaith meeting uh, with leaders from different faiths, or there is a um, you know a ceremony to conduct, or he has to go somewhere to bless the people, so then he can send us as well. Right. Uh, because that, we also represent him in that aspect. Yes. So, it leads me actually very nicely on to our next question um, for our listeners is, you know, how is a Swami different to a guru, really? What is the main distinction? So, or is there, isn't there one? Well, the thing is, a Swami can be a guru. A guru, I would say, probably need not necessarily be officially a Swami. Right. In the sense that an ordained monk, you can say. Right, uh, because right. basically, guru is it, it means a spiritual teacher. One, uh, on one in one way, it also is used as the word teacher as such. Like you can have a, a Windows guru or a, a music guru, or you know, like nowadays you hear this word, right? You have yes. a management guru. So, but in the the true sense of the word, it means one who who can raise your level of consciousness and make you realize your true nature. You know, mm. The word guru means the one whose light dispels the darkness. Mm. Um, and the name Purna Chaitanya, for example, it's, it's very beautiful. You're asking about that mm. because it's tradition that when you dedicate your life and you say, okay, I no longer live for myself. I now live for others. So they say, so you get a new name. It's like, so the birth that you were just living for yourself is finished. Right. Like a fresh start. So, um, so the master usually gives that name. And uh, I was very fortunate to be given this name, which has a beautiful meaning also. Purna means uh, it's Sanskrit, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Purna means that which is full or complete. Mm. Um, and Chaitanya means consciousness. So you can translate it as one whose uh, consciousness has the quality of fullness, or one whose consciousness is complete. Wow, that's beautiful. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> and what impact yeah. does that have on, because you say it's a new life, so what sort of impact does that have on on previous relationships and roles and um, interactions that you would have had with people beforehand versus after you were initiated as a Swami? Um, so on one level, not much changed mm -hmm. because I, like I said, I was anyway living a life like that. I was yes. already dedicating all my time to being useful, uh, so many service activities, other things. Yes. Um, formally, yes, when you become a Swami, then they say you are no longer bound to certain social, uh, you can say, obligations. Mm. For example, in the West, of course, this is not a big deal. But if you see in the East, usually still, there is a greater sense of family, mm. family structure, and even socially. So, you know, for example, uh, if someone gets married, all the family needs to be there. Or right. you can say like the, the oldest brother has to give the 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 bride away when the sister gets married right or you know the the oldest son has to perform the 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 final rites for when the the parents die so these kind of things they say then you are no longer uh, obligated to do or that that is no longer your role because right. now you don't just live for those you live for the whole world so right. it doesn't mean you can't meet your family or but that social obligations you are exempted from that mm. um, because they say you have taken a much bigger role and you should not, cannot and should not be bound by these small things because you can be anywhere, you know, like my master can send me anywhere in the world. Mm. And until he tells me to come back, I'll be there, you know. Right. Yes. So, yes. Uh, so that is there. And 
apart from that, like I said, nothing much has changed. Uh, you know, I'm still in touch with many of my old friends. Yeah. Um, of course, my family. Um, all that is there. I uh, wanted to ask you actually, thing, because um, hmm. so for example, I knew you before you became a Swami. I knew you as as Alex, as you know, as Alexander yeah. before you became a Swami. But it, but because there was a lot of love and respect for that. Um, that development and that change, it became very natural for then me to call you Swamiji. Did other people that perhaps weren't involved in that part of the journey with you, um, do they still refer to you as your as your previous name or in your family as well? Do they still do they still call you by the name that they gave you, or do they call you by your new name, your new title? Um, you know, usually it's interesting. This is one of the the main questions people ask me yeah. when they feel comfortable enough. Like people are really curious about this. Yes, of course. So, so the thing is, like, um, I still am in touch with quite a few of my good friends from high school, college days, all that. Mm-hmm. And you know, they've seen my updates on social media, so mm. they've been following a bit what I'm doing. Uh, many have been wondering that what is this guy up to because mm. you know not everybody would willingly go to even jungle areas and yes. and do something there for the indigenous people yes. without many comforts you know the food you eat maybe something different or not much at all or so all these things they wonder about is you know you had a nice job what made you go there give up all those things um, but then the thing is each one of them at some point or the other has shared with me that some they know they have a fair idea of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Some may not fully understand, but they've mm. all shared at some point that they said, you know, but that that joy and that fulfillment or contentment or that enthusiasm which we see you have, you know, which you see in your eyes, mm. is something that we are still looking for. Mm. You know, so that mm. doesn't mean everybody mm. has to leave everything and go roam around like that but people can <laughs> can recognize that you know this because in the end this is something that everybody's looking for so to have found your purpose in life and living that happily joyfully is uh, something of course we're all striving for and i feel very grateful that that i have found that mm. and um, at the same time it's it's humbling to see that uh, because you're asking about family mm. that for example my grandmother from my father's side, who was as Dutch as can be, you know. <laughs> so, you know, raised in a traditional Dutch family. Uh, she had uh, nine brothers and sisters, uh, wow. you know, like, uh, and she has not traveled much out of Holland in her entire life, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knew a little bit about, of course, the things I was doing. Uh, I had explained to her, um, of course, all these concepts of, of meditation and all that are quite foreign, but then you know, she could relate to some of it. And uh, it was a very sweet lady. Mm. Yeah, when I became a Swami, then I had to explain that to her also. And uh, so we told her a bit. And uh, of course, like, you know, an idea of a monk, okay. And then I found out that once she had gone to the local library and she found a book about Hinduism or something, and she was trying to find out what it means to be a Swami. And then she she called me one day, we had a call, and uh, she was asking me, said, you know, I've been doing little research. This is what I found. Uh, can you please tell me if it is correct? You know, because she wanted oh, to wonderful. understand. Yes, very and, sweet. And then uh, she she asked me and then about my new name. Said, okay, is this how I pronounce it? And then she actually wow. made notes how she was supposed to pronounce wow. it. And and a few years after that, another four or five years later, she passed away. And I happened to be in the Netherlands during that, uh, just after that. So I attended the, the funeral rites there. Mm. It was a small church and. And then um, they had asked me also to to say a few words. So mm-hmm. I chanted a few of the, the Vedic mantras there. Wow, uh, beautiful. Which people really appreciated. But even before that, when I entered, because traditionally I wear these white clothes, you not know, like white robes, you can say. Yes. It is like our... 
traditional dress. Yeah. So when I walked into the church and most people wearing black, of course, because that's the tradition for funerals usually, mm. um, there was this old lady, which was one of her sisters who was even older than she was and mm. could hardly walk, you know, was sitting in the chair, uh, this uh, small bent figure, old lady. And I had never met her because she lived somewhere quite far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I walked up and I saw her sitting there, I just greeted her and paid my respects, uh, condolences. Mm. And then she looked up to me and she folded her hands, you know, in the traditional Indian style, like that namaste, namaste. gesture. Wow. And she folded her hands like that and she said, uh, you must be the, the, the grandson from India, right? <laughs> the, and then she was thinking the, the Swami. And I didn't know what to say. You know, there was this old lady who was even more Dutch probably mm. and who had no clue maybe about this whole tradition. And then she so sweetly, she said, you know, your grandmother, she used to tell me about you. Wow. And it's so beautiful what you're doing with your life. Wow. And it was touching, you know, that, that at that age and from a culture which in a way is so different that people um, cannot just relate to that, but uh, are able to appreciate and recognize that, that, mm-hmm. you know, that definitely there is something special about that, what you're doing with your life or, Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. so, so that was for me, it was very humbling mm. to see that. Yeah, it's it's very touching, and that's also a very very um, very moving story as well. And I think it really articulates how much you've dedicated your life to service and service of others. Um, so, for example, if I talk about your role as program director and senior faculty at at the International of Living, and you oversee rural development projects and educational initiatives as well. So, what does that involve? Because it's slightly different to the to the monkhood roles, you could say. Yeah, on one hand, yes. At the same time, please don't picture me as a guy with, you know, this bold patch on his head, <laughs> uh, sitting in a in a church somewhere making ale or, you know, <laughs> like uh, just copying the, the scriptures. Um, you know, that, that is the beauty, I would say, is, is also with our master that, you know, it's, it's not different from our modern day world. It's a beautiful blend where you have the tradition, you have the authenticity. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's very practical in that, okay, how can we be useful? How can we serve? So um, we have all kinds of projects in the art of living, uh, ranging from everything, from rural development, women empowerment, you know, uh, preservation of the, of the nature, the environment, uh, conflict resolution, disaster relief, all kinds of things. And mm. education is a part of that. Mm. Uh, providing uh, holistic education. Um, and uh, I have worked for about seven, eight years in, uh, spent a lot of work in the northeastern region of India, the, the whole part that borders with Bhutan, with China, with Myanmar, Bangladesh. Yes. Uh, that is one part of India which is still uh, quite undeveloped. Uh, not yes. everything, but there are large patches because these are really interior places. They're mountain areas, foothills of the Himalayas or mm. jungles mm. where um, development may not have happened at the face as it would have in most parts of India. Mm. Even the British kind of left that part because it was probably too much work, you know, to <laughs> bring a, build a railway all that way or uh, to develop it. So, so in especially these kind of regions, the art of living is running uh, small schools in places where there may not be any school available or the government schools are not functioning that well or are mm. very far for some places. Mm. So we uh, we do a project where we empower some of the local people. We do a training for the youth and those who have sufficient education 
we train them to become teachers in those schools mm. so that at least the primary education can can reach there as well yes. and uh, and then we we collaborate with them so we support them financially uh, also to some extent the school at the same time we make it in such a way that they feel part of it it's their school also yes. so they take that ownership uh, it's a way for them also to give back to the community so um so in these projects we see many of these children are first generation learners mm. so their parents mm. may not have had an education uh, so that also means they won't be able to help them with the homework so that means sometimes mm, we have to sit with them a little longer uh, wow. to help them uh, so we provide the books you know the uh, sometimes the, the, also the uniforms, midday meal, all these things. Mm. And um, and sometimes it's a challenge because people are very practical. You know, they say, okay, if this child can work on the field, why do we need to send them to school? Yes. They can contribute. Yes. So we also have to, especially where their parents may not have had a formal education, so we have to really explain it to them. Mm. That, you know, okay, but it is so important in today's world that at least the basic education you know, for the child to move ahead, because the way things are changing, you, you need to know basic stuff. You know, the world is, yeah. is not what it used to be. So um, yeah. So I was looking after about 100 schools in this region. And I've wow. started also some of these schools in places where we didn't have them yet. Yes. I, I mean, it really leads me on to the next question, because you've done some incredibly significant work in your lifetime. And you're still very young. Um, you're incredibly prolific, Swamiji. Um, in your experience, what would you say? I know this is a hard question, but what would you say was your most significant experience so far? And which of these things has meant meant the most to you? And I, I know it's a tough question because cause a lot of the things, almost all of the things you do are very meaningful and touching. Um, I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure if it's up to me to to be the judge of that, you know. <laughs> but to you, which one has meant the most to you? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a difficult question. But all I know is that... Um, I wouldn't say it is one specific experience because I've experienced this maybe in slightly different forms in different places over the years. Mm. But to see that me coming there to a place, uh, I'm able to really make a difference in someone's life for the positive, you mm. know, whether it is helping their children get an education or uh, bringing them some other type of relief or uh, inspiration or just um, making people feel that they're not alone or giving them a different vision or hope or any of these things for me still today continues to be a very humbling experience. And I think that's one of the main driving things, forces mm. where, because mm. I may not be earning, uh, I don't have a normal salary, uh, you know, I, I don't have a house, i not building up a pension maybe, nor uh, am I... Uh, uh, in any other way, taking care of my own needs. Of course, I'm definitely taken care of. That is that is the case. But despite all those, it may not be comfortable. I've stayed mm. in such, you can say, minimal or basic or sometimes even very unhygienic places. Right. <laughs> so right. that way, uh, despite all these things, when you see that, yes, I'm really able to make a difference um, in such a way that this so much more fulfilling and i think for any of us looking for real fulfillment in life uh, we have to realize that only comes from uh, doing something for others yeah. you can try keep making yourself comfortable and but in the end that real fulfillment only comes from service yes you will not get it anywhere else. another aspect of your work is that it focuses on the preservation of 
um, ancient Vedic practices and indigenous traditions as well. If you don't mind me asking, how has your race affected you being received in your work in Asia and in Africa? Because you don't, like you said earlier, you don't look like a uh, traditional Swami, let's say. Well, yeah, I, I may not have the look of, of the orange robes or the bald head or <laughs> that, that style. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because there are two aspects to that. Um, mm. I've seen that on one hand, um, it actually makes people much more open or comfortable, mm-hmm. um, especially in places where uh, you can say religion is still a much stronger part of people's life. A little bit more, you can say the doctrinal type where, you know, like in the in the Middle Ages in Europe, we had this thing where the church used to be very, you can say, vocal about what is right and what is wrong. Mm, mm. So in, in some parts of, of Asia, even Africa, and I've seen that uh, this sometimes is still the case where I've come to places where people say that, you know, my, my pastor... Uh, or our local church father has told us not to do yoga because it is evil, yeah, you know, which yeah. I was like, come on, man, this is like middle ages all over again. And <laughs> and I would just be baffled. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, come on, you know, it's good to stretch your leg. <laughs> you know, God has given good legs. <laughs> Exercise is not wrong, you know. Yeah. So the thing is that if you see many of these practices, and I think that's the beauty of the Vedic tradition, is that they were very scientific in nature and uh the, the basis, foundation of that, the whole tradition was to ask questions. You know, it's not that you just believe something. Mm. You find out for yourself, you experience. So if you see nowadays, thank God, you know, yoga has become a global phenomenon. Yeah, a lot amazing. of the, the, the prejudice or the what that was there 40, 50 years ago is, mm. is gone. Even mm. meditation now, you know, you see so many advertisements with they want to show someone being peaceful, they show them meditating. You yeah. know, if you want to see someone healthy, they're doing yoga. <laughs> so thank God for that. Um, at the same time, you still see that sometimes if people are a little reluctant um, to maybe try something new because they think, oh, no, maybe it's coming from India, mm. so it must be a Hindu thing. Uh, but then when they see me, they realize, oh, you know, this is someone from the West. Mm. You know, uh, He is perfectly fine doing these things. Yes. So then it must be fine, you know? So... I've seen that there I'm actually able to, you can say, a little bit bridge the gap because it's just about getting people to be open to an experience Mm, and then mm. see everybody breathes, everybody wants to be happy. So (laughs) these are practices which in that way have nothing to do with religion. They are relevant for everybody. It will not in any way interfere with your faith. Rather, I have seen people have come to me where they said that, you know, these practices have actually deepened my faith. Mm. You know, there was this Russian nun who had come for one of the programs old lady and she said you know wow now when i sit for my prayer my mind is not so chattery i am mm. so much more peaceful mm. so i feel much more connected to god and the same people have shared i have had buddhist participants uh, we have people working in the middle east yes. where the participants are all muslims and they share the same experience yes. so it's just about making people comfortable and i think there uh, in some places it has really been a benefit you would i would say mm. that me coming from the west um, at the same time, in India, sometimes this can be a challenge. Usually people are just very appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have some places where people are very traditional where, and they're a little wary because of the past. You know, In the history, of course, people have come from the West, mm-hmm. uh, not always with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, some places people have been exploited when we talk about colonial times and all that. So you cannot blame some people for being a little, uh, you can say, extra 
cautious yes. that this is really someone who is authentically interested or appreciative of these traditions or is it someone who is just trying to come who has come with a with a different motive or intention mm. but i think there also it's rarely been the case you know because like i said one world has changed and uh, people know our master gurudev shri shankar he is such a global figure and they know all he is doing and for these traditions to preserve it to create awareness so um, so nothing serious this is just maybe you know a rare once in a yeah. blue moon that i may come across someone who who has this apprehension and and then once they see uh, that all vanishes you know that's not an yeah. issue because it ties into what we were saying you know earlier in the podcast about how that authenticity comes through that intention comes through and and when you have that experience you know when it's real for you then um then the other doubts sort of go away you know they they vanish and that's a very beautiful thing um your workshop at this year's mind body spirit festival is called the power of mantras and the alchemy of consciousness which is a beautiful title our community they might have heard of mantras and what they are but perhaps you can tell us more about what a mantra is and more specifically to your workshop what is mantra kavacham so in the scriptures in the tradition mantra is defined as uh, in sanskrit they say mananatrayati iti mantra mm. which means a mantra is a sound vibration that allows us to transcend the mind mm. that allows the mind the thinking mind the chattering mind to subside and it allows us to experience that which is beyond which mm. is the, the witness consciousness you know mm. so it's something that can bring you closer to your nature uh, we all know mind is very active uh, those who have uh, experienced or attempted meditation they know that Uh, it's not so easy to manage the mind if you say you know, we want the mind to to be quiet mm. the more you think please be quiet it doesn't work <laughs> you know so so one of the very effective ways is uh, mantra mm. and um, there are specific sounds so it's not just that any word or anything can be a mantra of course again the word mantra has become popular now we have management mantras and all these things but yes. the real meaning of mantra these are specific sound vibrations and they have a definite and specific effect on our body on our mind and consciousness mm-hmm. and on the environment right so uh, it's a vast science uh, it is very profound and in the workshop we'll go more deeper into it we'll explore we'll teach people a little bit more about what mantras are different types of mantras mm. and also some uh, some mantras which uh, anybody can chant for specific uh, benefits uh which are safe also which are easy because some may be a little more difficult to pronounce or right. some you need to be initiated you know there's a yes. there's a procedure for that so so in the workshop we'll we'll uh, look into this and uh, combined with that also i'm going to cover uh some aspects of ayurveda as well the, the vedic science of wow. well-being Yes. Because in Ayurveda mantras are actually also uh, there is a branch of mantras which is part of Ayurveda as well. Oh where wow. Specific sounds can be used to heal. Mm-hmm. Um and uh we're also going to learn some mudras the the hand postures mm-hmm. because these are also a way that we can redirect the the life force the prana in our body again for specific purposes. Wow. So I'm going to teach people the the basic principles. and how these mudras and mantras can be used to affect a definite change in our body like physically and mentally uh, even for certain like practical uh, health benefits or or 
no? Like if there's certain imbalance, some certain health problems that you may be facing sometimes. Yeah. So how you can quite easily correct that with the, the mudras, uh, it's a beautiful science. Again, it's fascinating because it's like a switch, you know, when you know how to use it, the combinations, permutations, uh, at least the basics we can already cover in that workshop. Mm. So, and why I've called it the alchemy of consciousness is because, you know, uh, like alchemy is basically transmutation you know, or, or changing the nature of things. Mm-hmm. And even though consciousness is always consciousness, we yes. can't change that. But in our day-to-day life and experience, many times we are not, uh, we may not be able to live from our true nature where you are peaceful, where you're happy, when you're joyful, enthusiastic, where you're free from whether it is doubts or, or negative emotions or stress, so all these things. Mm-hmm. So this will give people some practical tools to again and again come back to that space, to, to their true nature, to where they can experience their true nature more and more wow. and go beyond that chattering mind. Um, and just some practical things that you can do every day if you would like to at home or anywhere. So, and then you see that a beautiful shift happens in life where you start feeling more connected to the world around you. You start feeling more at home wherever you go. And more and more, when you start uh, feeling that, that peace and contentment, which is your nature, a beautiful shift happens where you start living your life not as a pursuit of happiness, but as an expression of happiness. Mm. It's a subtle change where you do the things in your life not because you think that will make you happy to become happy, but you can do them happily. Mm. So you go from a space of lack to a space of fullness. And that means maybe you're living the same life. You know, you have the same mother-in-law, you have the same neighbors, the same boss. You may have to do your day-to-day activities, but the quality of life can be totally different. Amazing. So a lot of lot of yes. tools for people to take away with them as well. Because that is something I wanted to ask you, you know, on your website, on your YouTube channels, you share different mantras, like mantras before eating or mantras for the planets or mantras before lighting a lamp. And then, you know, you, you know that there are um, mantras that people can chant out loud or mantras that people can only do silently inside. Um, ones that people, like you said, have to be initiated in. Um, of all of these types of mantras, I, I appreciate that you're going to go into that in your workshop a little bit. But if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one um, mantra, which perhaps can trump all the others or perhaps something that you can share with our listeners today, um, if, if you had to give us one uh, what what uh, what which one would you recommend that would be able to cover all scenarios for now? Well, I mean, you're kind of looking for a easy way out, right? Well, just something like to keep to, us going before you workshop. It's like going workshop. to a doctor and saying, "You see, you have all this type of like um, food supplements or or medicines or healthy healthy tasty bites, but yeah. but if you give us just one thing that works for everything and that we can easily take home with us." So, so the just thing something is, to give um, our listeners a taste of uh, what they might be able to take away yeah. from your workshop. I can give you something at the same time. I wouldn't want people to think that uh, it but, is only this. Like yes, you said, if course. we can give them a taste, but it's just a sample. Yeah. Uh, because to really do justice to the topic, I don't want to no, oversimplify it. Of course. So I've chosen chosen one mantra which. Uh, is relatively easy for people to chant and it's also available on on Spotify on you know on iTunes Apple Music on my YouTube channel as well which is the mantra Om Namah Shivaya 
this is one of the like i said the maha mantras the great mantras mm-hmm. and why because the om we all know om is the sound of you know like whatever consciousness or, or the creation um, and na ma shi pa ya these five sounds are connected to the five elements and uh, they say that this mantra when these are connected with om with with the consciousness what it does it has a uh, a harmonizing a balancing effect on the five elements mm-hmm. so it you can say mind over matter or mm-hmm. consciousness over matter so om is the sound of creation it is the basic vibration of this whole universe so when you connect it with that what happens it harmonizes the five elements and if you look at life whether it's our body the world around us our mind it is all made up of the five elements in their gross or subtle form mm. so any imbalance in ayurveda also whether it's on the body or the mental level is mm-hmm. basically an imbalance in these five elements mm-hmm. so chanting this mantra has a very beneficial effect that it not just makes you feel more peaceful it purifies the space the environment um from any negativity or any imbalance mm-hmm. but it also has a has a, you can say a healing effect mm-hmm. on both body and mind mm-hmm. so uh, and it's it's easy to chant it's not so difficult so um i can chant it here three times just as a sample but like i said if people want they can either go to anyway spotify my youtube channel mm-hmm. anyway they can find the month the, the album on which this mantra is there is also called mantra kavacham it is the same name as the workshop because yes. kavacham means an armor so it is when mantras are chanted regularly certain specific mantras they they can protect us mm. physically mentally uh, they become like an armor like mm. a shield uh, you can say like mm. an umbrella when it rains yes. you may get wet a little bit but you don't get soaking yeah. so on the subtle level these mantras have a very beneficial effect mm. um so it is there so i'll chant it three times just for people to get a taste yes, but please. normally we we say that it's nice at least for 5 minutes or 10 minutes chanting the mantra with your eyes closed in a composed manner so like this the mantra can be chanted out loud uh, when you're comfortable you can also chant it mentally so you don't have to even speak it out loud om namah shivaya om namah shivaya Shiva. Wow, amazing. Wow. Well, thank you for making it so accessible for us today um and for our listeners, Swamiji. It's it's been wonderful to speak to you and and to really dig deep into some of these into these questions and these answers for for us all to understand, you know, the journey of of someone from the west becoming a swami and dedicating their life to service. So, thank you so much. It does bring us to the end of our our podcast today. I really really appreciate you taking the time out in Ghana in Africa um for speaking to us today. It was totally my pleasure and I hope that uh, you know, in some ways we have been able to contribute something to yes. people that it can either be useful or enriching to them or Uh, in some other way beneficial to their lives. Yeah, definitely. Jam jam packed podcast full of all sorts of practical things and wonderful stories and experiences as well. So thank you. Have an amazing day, Sanjeev. Thank you so much, Mahavani, and I wish the team all the best. 
For more information about the Wellbeing Festival, visit mindbodyspirit.co.uk. I've been your host, Parvini Vias, and this episode was produced by Josh Roberts and our sound engineer, Erin Milligan. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back very soon. 